from west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to lucky episode 113 of the Diz Unplugged, Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, producer, and good friend Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? Oh, I am exhausted. So in the, uh, yeah, in the past week alone, I've, well, even going beyond that, I went from California, I went from Florida to California. And then once I got back from California, back to Florida, I then decided to travel to another planet completely, the planet Batu. And I just got back from that yesterday. And then I had to go back and then come back and go back and come back. I'm just I'm just plain beat. And, and you had to go to Epcot. Yes, I had to go to Epcot as well too. Start a food and wine festival. So oh, it has I, been I'm, a week. <laughs> I know, and and we are recording like the night you have to put the show up. Yeah, because you had media previews and all kinds of stuff on our normal recording night, and then I wasn't available Wednesday, and so it was just crazy so yes um, so i'm glad that we could carve this little time together um so and we're yep. both back from the d23 expo and surprising you y'all be surprised to know we are not going to talk about it in this episode but we will uh, in our next episode you know I'll, I'll tell you i'll regale you with my story is the reservation system and uh, and then we'll share our thoughts from our own unique angle on this yeah. system you, you you heard a few of mine on um the Disney Parks panel, what I thought of some of the rewriting of history. If you listen to our live feeds, uh, live streams, if you didn't, uh, they're out there. Because Craig did a masterful job of putting all that together along with um, Rhino. Um, tons yep. of videos out there. It's practically like you're going to be there at the expo. But without the crowds and sitting on the hard cement floor or hobnobbing with the fellow sorcerers the way uh, Craig did. <laughs> so, and, and Craig, I hope you'll share that experience too. With us. I, what I would it like love being to. a sorcerer because I have no way of knowing. Yeah, well, that I'm sure our listeners would like to know if you felt it was worth the price. So we can talk about that. That's the problem. Yeah. It's uh, all the sorcerers actually. You, you don't even know about it, but we have to take a, an oath of silence where we're not actually allowed to speak about it. So it's very much like Fight Club. Uh, we just we just have to uh, we have to just sit back and and enjoy it and know that maybe one day you'll be lucky enough to be a sorcerer. But well, I think my my friends uh, who was it who said you have to if you save like a hundred and five dollars a month or something they don't raise it in two years um, that you too can have enough money <laughs> to be a sorcerer. <laughs> Yeah, I'm tempted. I am really tempted because you know what? In two years, I'll be 65. I don't know if I want to sit on those 
floors. <laughs> I, I and I completely see that, and I think that's where Disney is essentially missing. Uh, they're they're missing a, a market right in between sorcerers and basic tickets. So I, I definitely like sorcerers pass needs to exist, like because not only do you get the the benefit of having the the early preview of all of the stores that you can go in and buy all the merchandise with really only waiting for the other sorcerers to get in and there's only like 300 sorcerers so i don't talk too much about it this oh i want to talk about it next time oh yeah no no i'm not getting i'm not getting that much into it but i i truly so like that's a big perk of it and uh, then you have their private lounge there's a bunch of free giveaways there's the obviously the seating that is right in front of the stage for every single panel and all you have to do is show up to it that being said i feel like there's so many other seats in these auditoriums especially like hall d23 where there could easily be a ticket that was like let's say a thousand dollars where you don't get the early shopping preview you don't get you don't get the benefits of any special lounge unless you're a gold member and you get in the gold member lounge or the charter member lounge which is a joke yeah, and I, I agree, but I, I feel like you know it's you don't need some of those perks. You don't need all the free giveaways. Um, you don't necessarily need need to to be in those front rows. Yes, it's cool being in the front rows, but a, a lot of time I think if I could spend less money and just be guaranteed to get into a panel without having to wait at all, even even like the waiting with the reservations. I feel like there's a market there where mm-hmm. they you're could maybe, absolutely right. Yeah, where they could maybe expand that a little more, and and that could even be with the knowledge saying like, okay, well, you still have to make your own way with the other panels, but in terms of we sell you a hall D twenty three ticket, where for a thousand dollars you're guaranteed seating into the hall twenty D twenty three panels as well as as the entire expo and then everything else you have to get reservations for or or just show up and hope you can get in and Mm -hmm. i think that's that would be my biggest takeaway from it all and uh, i'll share more about the worth but that was just my thought on what they could and what they should do in the future Mm all righty thank you so so stay tuned for more of our take on D23X, our unique angle. Just a couple of reminders. Uh, the Carrollwood Society's 2019 Unmeeting is happening on September 27, 2019 uh, at uh, 10 a.m. at the AMC Disney Springs Theater. Uh, this year, Disney legend Walt Disney Imagineering Ambassador and recent Carrollwood Foundation Heart of Heritage honoree Tony Baxter will be there speaking on his work on the big Thunder Mountain Railroads at Disneyland, Walt Disney World, and Disneyland Paris. And we will have a link to where you can purchase tickets in our show notes. Uh, you might remember in our last episode, we had Walt, we had, uh, we had Claude, uh, well, we talked about Claude Coates, and we had, we had Dave Bossert and Alan Coates, the son of Claude, on to talk about their Indiegogo campaign uh, about for a book, Walt Disney's Imagineer, Claude Coates, The Making of Disneyland from Toad Hall to the Haunted Mansion and Beyond. And in our previous episode, they talked all about Claude, his career, and why there should be a book written about his extraordinary accomplishments. 
that we continue to enjoy today. And we will have a link in our show notes to that Indiegogo campaign. Uh, I did get a note that they are a little more than 60% of their target. So, and I'm sure that's due in a large part to our listeners. I hope so. With Walt. Yeah. So that that gives me a lot of hope that they're going to get there. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, you know what I noticed on Pirates of the Caribbean? I don't know if you've noticed this since Claude worked on it, is that they restored the original and that transition scene. We have the big reveal to the battle. You know, when you're going through the caverns? Yeah, the, with the, uh, the, the double-sided transition from uh, skeletons to, to real life. Yeah, they got rid... Uh, I don't know when they did this, but that whole water mist screen with the projection, that's gone. They've restored the nar- the original narration. Yeah, and yeah. There's, and there's a little scene on the side that if you folks haven't seen it, I'm not going to spoil it for you. But there's a new little scene on on the uh, left yeah. side and i was at first i thought oh okay it's just not working but since I, I was able to walk on practically everything i was shocked at the lack of guests in the park uh i could walk on pirates you know whenever i wanted um i thought i went on it enough times to realize no they have restored the original narration that I thought was superior. So if you have never seen it or don't remember it and you're at Disneyland, definitely go on Pirates and, and listen for that. So I'm, I'm very happy that they did that. Oh, yeah. No, that's uh, this opened up when uh, they they debuted their their red, their redone uh, red oh, animatronic yes, and such. That. And it's despite that being part of it, uh, the the change in narration, like you said, in the effect, which which I ruined, and then right afterwards you said <laughs> you wouldn't ruin it and spoil it. Um, I, it's it's definitely a positive change. So I feel like someone who was working on it definitely uh, definitely was thinking about fans saying, you know what, if we're going to do this one part that's going to make a lot of people unhappy, maybe we can balance it out with, with another that, that leaves a lot of people actually happy. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, that scene offsets it. I, I still am baffled. What were they thinking that this would make any sense? But anyway, we've discussed that in the past. Uh, anyway, oh, a reminder, Turner Classic Movies, Treasures from the Disney Vault will be airing Monday, September 2nd, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, as we mentioned a while back, we will, because of the expo and having Dave Bossert and Ellen Coates on, we have to delay actually our talking about these wonderful films until uh, September. So watch the films and then tune back in to uh, listen to us and, and we'll give you some behind the scenes uh, you know, stories on, on a lot of those. Yeah, so. and it, it's probably a good time to mention too that uh, – you know, it's it's like we told you, it's Thursday right now as we're recording, and there is a hurricane heading straight for Florida, Hurricane mm-hmm. Dorian. Dorian. And it's still very much up in the air on what's going to happen. Uh, it's pretty much at this point guaranteed to hit Florida. Of course, anything could change. Uh, it might It might not hit Florida. It might hit us dead on. It might hit further south. It might hit further north. It might hit central Florida. We just... We're, we're not sure at this point and just we plain don't know and and won't know for a couple more days on and 
how certain it is it's going to hit where it does hit. So uh, because of that, we are going to do our best to try to have a show for you next week. But uh, the reality is that we very well could, uh, if it's anywhere in central Florida, like uh, I believe it was Hurricane Michael or Irma. I can't remember which one was two years ago. I, I don't. I'm a terrible Floridian because I don't remember hurricane names. But the one that went through two years ago that was that was either uh, Category 5 or 4 and hit Miami and then came all the way up right through Central Florida and over Orlando and stuff. Like that one, I, I know it was only a Category 1, I think, when when it went over us and and we lost power for about a day and a half and maybe it was closer to two days but because of 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 that we don't we're not quite sure if if we'll lose power we genuinely don't know anything that's that's about to happen there so if i lose power then it will uh we we won't be able to record until we have it back and and if i don't get it back until thursday even friday then we won't be able to turn around to show that quickly for mm-hmm. you but i'm sure then once we do the next episode after that will be our d23 expo episode and i'm sure that will be a mega mega episode because <laughs> there's <laughs> there's a lot to talk about so uh we'll we'll give you we'll give you a little extra to to make up for if we miss one yeah yeah so and we want to wish all those in the path of hurricane dorian all the best you will definitely be praying for you and, and hoping that you get through it without any problems or that it just veers off or peters out as, as some of the others in the past have. So, yes. Anyway, but but anyway, so what we are going to do is this week is we're going to finish up our coverage of the Pacific Northwest Mouse Meet. In some previous episodes, I talked about the Pacific Northwest Mass Meet and some of the speakers and the events and things that went on there. So you'll definitely want to tune into those. I'm going to talk about the Joe Rohde panels as best I can because I noticed that my notes on the iPad Pro, when they came through, when I sent them to my laptop, they they were incomplete. They, they did not make the transition through cyberspace. So I, I will do my best to remember um, some of these offhand. So anyway, but the first panel was on Saturday, July 27th. And he talked, he talked about theming. And what is it? So Joe Rohde, of course, has been an Imagineer for over 40 years. We know him best for for his work on Animal Kingdom, Pandora, World of Avatar, you know, Expedition Everest, um, Alani Resort, The Adventurers Club, and a whole lot of other stuff. And he said that there's... There's a single method that he uses when developing an attraction or resort, whatever it might be, and that's theme. And that he said that that's a word that is misused. Uh, theme is a noun, he said, not a verb, or nor is it a gerund. So he said that story making, it's in all of our brains. We live every day inside a story. So by the time our brain figures out what's going on, we're already in the story. So 
there's the spine of the story and and a good story has to you has to have a grand pattern for you to recognize it but you can't tell where it's going or your brain will stop watching so you need a theme before you tell a story so he talked about animal kingdom a- Animal Kingdom is built around three thematic ideas. There's the intrinsic value of nature. There's transportation through nature. And then there is a personal call to action. And then there are ideas that you have to group, you know, all based on these three themes. So everything you do is based on those three themes that I just talked about. And then there, then there's ideas you have to group. Um, the landscape, is it going to be formal or informal? Looking back again at these themes. Um, architecture, when is the architecture in a theme? Especially if it's a theme that is dominated by nature. So then you have to look at the details. So for instance, in when the theme is dominated by nature, um, are you going to use a stainless steel door? Or a wood door. So, Craig, what would you use? I would... Oh. For me, I'm cold-hearted. I'm going stainless steel. Okay, you're right. It would be wood. And then you'd go... (laughs) (laughs) And then you'd go... um, Then you have to decide then, okay, let's say it is stainless steel or wood, whichever it might be, because maybe it is, you know, you know, you never know. Is it polished or rough? You know, oh, and definitely then, rough. Yeah, and then is the doorknob going to be steel on this, or is it going to be like a polished bronze? And <sighs> so many choices. I know. So, but it, most likely a polished bronze. And then, in some cases, if you're going to get when, but he said, you know, they were thinking doorknobs, but doorknobs, he said would indicate a certain level of, let's say, sophistication or technology. In the be- in early days, and he said he noticed when they went and did their research, most doors commonly had levers because those are very basic. You just grab it and pull down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Doorknob, it's a little more, you know, there's a little more design and all that to it. And then, but let's say on... on the patterns that you create, are they going to be geometric or organic? And then, you know, so is it going to be so so you'll notice in Animal Kingdom, a lot of the geometric designs are uh, harken back to nature, they might be in the shape of flowers, you know, flower designs or leaf yeah, yeah. designs, you know, things like that. So, so there is this inner idea theme is the inner idea of something that gives it shape so animal kingdom has lots of trees and everything looks like it's falling apart because it they want to show the power of nature as a frame around the animals so so then the personal call to action in Animal Kingdom, there's signs about poaching, about conservation. Um, you'll notice that t- the tiger paintings, um, you know, on the temple, in that one walkthrough, which is my favorite um, walk. Uh, the 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 ruins, the paint, the tiger paintings on the rooms are all about hunting tigers, mm-hmm. and that's to remind us why there are so few tigers left. Yeah. 
So I'd heard that so, one before. Yeah. So so that that is so that's a very subtle call to nature. We have to stop hunting if we're going to preserve these animals. In this case, the tigers, but it could be the elephants, or or so many other endangered species. Um, so what they did is they to. St- go about this. They do um, field sketches, uh, work. They did photographs. They did research for the park. Um, they went to Nepal, Nepal, but they can't. you can't do any of this, he said, if you don't know the theme uh, and, and why you're going out to do the research. So knowing the theme helps you make decisions about what you don't know. So for instance, he talked about when they, when they were working on Expedition Everest, when they went to do their research and designing that area, well, they learned that the Yeti is considered a protector of people. So they had to, so so you notice everything around there when you walk through the queue and all that sort of tells that story of the Yeti being the protector. So... And that's carried through even in the attraction yeah. where the Yeti is attacking because we are, you know, we're we're infiltrating his habitat. Yeah, you yeah. Know, where he lives. So Yeah, that makes sense. So Avatar had to line up with the thematic idea of Animal Kingdom, because remember that was my initial thought. And, and you know, I'm sure some of you out there had the same thing. How does this movie relate to Animal Kingdom? Why is it being plopped there? Well, the thing is, is that it it had to um, it it was a, it's a land of non-repeating design, and but it's completely governed by design decisions. But it had to remain true to those three intrinsic themes of Animal Kingdom. It had to tell the story of man's relationship with nature, and it. When you think about it, it does that throughout the throughout that land. Flight of Passage is designed to provide an emotional feeling of relationship with nature, and it's a transformational experience through adventure. So, um, so, so, and and you can say, and, and I think the same holds true. He didn't mention it, but I think the same holds true for the Navi River Journey. As brief of, mm-hmm. as it is, you definitely it evokes, I think, an awe and wonder of nature. Yeah, and our relationship with nature, and this, and in this case too, the Navi's relationship with nature. Yeah. So. Yeah, I agree. Now he talked about the the um, Balin family, and they are the ones that ha- that carved the figures for Animal Kingdom, and they're also painters, and they. Uh, that they're from um they're from um oh they're from Bali uh, Bali so that may not be that their name is Bali and I can't read my writing here but they they anyway they painted the roof of the Nali uh, Navi River Journey and it's and it's shrouded and they did it with um shredded bamboo brushes and they also carved all the um Miahini for Alani. And they, they've done a lot. Of, they're now like the official carvers for Walt Disney World, especially for Animal Kingdom, Alani, mm. those kinds of places. A lot of the carvings all around there are done by this one family. Yeah. And a That's lot awesome. of the paintings. 
I mean, you so, know, you can rely on them for anything. Yeah, yeah. So Disney wanted a 15-story hotel in Oahu on the beach. Uh, now, the problem is that is some that that brand and market is very oversaturated. So it was a challenge to make this um, distinctive. So he had his team um, take photos of tropical beach destinations and then put them on a wall. And then they threw away anything that was duplicated. So the only thing left was photos of the Hawaiian people. So they made the decision that a trip to Hawaii is a trip to Hawaiians. And that became the theme of the Alani Resort. So they needed the Hawaiians to build the resort and to make the thematic ideas come true. And this, um, and, and, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, there, there is a, um, there, the, you know, there was a formula. There's a formula for a resort to a Hawaiian resort. You know, it had to be a 15-story tower. You had to have, uh, you know, a, a signature restaurant. You had to have, you know, a, a, the sexy, uh, you know, a, you know, um, sort of lounge or bar. You know, you had to have one by the beach. You had to have two swimming pools. He said, you go to any of those resorts, those Hawaiian resorts, that's exactly what they have. Very cookie cutter. So, but that's sort of what you need to succeed. So they had to also work within what is going to make this resort success, but keeping true now to this theme of you're going to visit this resort to visit Hawaiians, because in most cases, uh, you know the, um, the you know the, the 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 people that build the hotels, they just see this as you have your room to go out and discover Hawaii. No, you're going to discover Hawaiians here in order to understand what you're seeing when you venture out of the resort into Hawaii. Yeah, and it's it's such a brilliant concept. I mean, it, it really is like. It, it's something that I could tell from watching like TV shows and anything that was about Hawaii that it all, while the the level of quality in the hotels might vary from you know a, a Four Seasons to something on a much lower scale, it all did have kind of a cookie cutter feel to it in terms of if what what was the offerings, what you were looking for, whether it was. You know, further out to where uh, where Alani is in Koalina or in Waikiki, where, wherever it's, there was definitely a formula there, and and it was a brilliant move by Disney to just take the formula, throw it out the window, and break it, and mm-hmm. like it. It only made sense to take you. You had you had these successes with this, these types of hotels in the past, so it only made sense to try to do it out there as well too and i mean it's i'm one of those rare people that i would love to see them take this formula for other other places as well too other countries if disney would let if disney would be given that access to come into another country and and try to take a a a concept that would pay homage to a, a culture and and build a hotel around that i would love that i would too and if they were willing to take that gamble 
Yeah. I mean, Alani was a big gamble for them. But, you know, they knew, but in all of their, and, and I talked about this, I think I talked about it, in part two of our Pacific Northwest Mass Meet coverage, I actually did the I started the talk that I'm going to talk about next. I took things out of order because they interviewed Joe Rody, And, you know, one of the things that he said, they built Alani because when they did guest research, people said they wanted a resort like this in Hawaii. So, um, so you know, so it was a gamble for them to have some, you know, they, they mm-hmm. have the Hilton mm-hmm. Head Resorts and, you know, and a couple of other DVC resorts you know, not near a theme park, but to build something this huge without a theme park attached was a risk for them. But I think it's paid off. Yeah. You know, Carol and I, we've stayed at, we've we've gone to Hawaii twice. And the first time we took the children and when they were teenagers getting ready to graduate from, um, from high school. And we stayed like in condos and all that, like on Maui and Oahu and all that. And that was, that was nice. But, Alani was such an amazing experience. It it was that sort of infotainment concept because I we learned a lot about the Hawaiian culture and the Hawaiian people that we did not learn on our previous trip. And and we learned it just by staying at that resort. The Alani resort. Yeah. So. I think the only the only place where you could call Alani a failure, if you would ever call it a failure in any way, is that it's while for a certain tier of uh, of person out there who can afford to go very regularly, that's it's it's a great place for them. But I think for the average person, it is it is way more of a destination than even like Walt Disney World is. We hear yes. about oh well, Walt Disney World can be a once in a lifetime trip, or Disneyland can be. Alani for many people is truly, truly a once in a lifetime trip. So absolutely, that's the only downside is that you have this nice large resort that's beautiful and people are clamoring to go there and just want nothing more than to get to experience it. But they might not if, if they ever get out there, they might not ever be able to come back or ever afford to. So that's the only downside. Mm-hmm. Or you know, stay elsewhere but come for a visit, enjoy the. Um the lounges enjoy walk through the shops look at it's a it's like a museum mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. and um enjoy the restaurant you know so you, there's are there are things you can do you know there even if you can't stay there yeah we, since we're disney vacation club members we that's how we were able to afford it so otherwise it would be out of our reach so that's a good point so so what they needed so that what they so Joe said that they needed the Hawaiians to build the resort and to make the thematic idea come true. So um he said that um Hawaiians are proud regal formal people. He said it's not Key West. So the moment you walk into the lobby it is formal and it's packed with information and there are are Hawaiians working there? And you can ask about what is in the resort. And because of his formula for theme, uh, the project leads to um, an unexpected adventure. And he told a story about Auntie Nettie. And I, I'm going to 
tell that story in, in sort of in, in just a bit because then they broke and they started talking about the D23 Expo. So, uh, so, so I'll tell it um, in just a moment. And then um, when the resort was completed, they had a day when everyone who worked on the resort could bring their families and enjoy it for the day, which had never been done for any workers at any of the other resorts in Hawaii. So that, um, so that really surprised him that 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 had been done. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to switch over to the next day's um, topic because I get more into some of these stories because he sort of he repeated himself towards the end there. But I wanted there was something (laughs) I wanted to pay off on um, the the you know, I I think I teased about, you know, why Joe Rody was assigned to sort of Animal Kingdom and all that. He had stated it was because he was assigned to Animal Kingdom because it was his first, like, really huge project because nobody ever thought it was going to be built. So they gave it to him. But he um, he he made it happen. So, and I, I think we get a little more into that as we go along. So he was brought into um, work. So the next day, I already talked about in the previous episode what they discussed in the beginning. And then he was brought into the Alani project about a year into it or so. And that was because they needed someone who could sort of meet with the... um, who, who could sort of represent Disney and represent people because he was born in Hawaii and was raised there. I think they moved and he was about 11 or 12 or so. So the Imagineers had to craft the resort within the guidelines of the Hawaiians. So when he started the project, he was nervous because it would affect his relationship with the locals. But, you know, he's from Oahu and he's Portuguese and he went to Marinol Catholic School. So immediately when the locals heard that, it helped them know who he was. And they could talk to him because titles meant nothing to them. And no Hawaiian was excited about building another 15-tower resort on their um, island. So when Joe Rody made his pitch about the resort being about Hawaiians to, you know, the executives, Bob Iger and the executives, Bob Iger asked if this had ever been done before. And Joe said no. And Bob said, great. Let's have lunch. And Joe said it was as easy as that. <laughs> it got approved. So um, I, That's a good story to hear because that's, <clears throat> that's how you would hope some decisions are still being made at Disney. And so that actually it, it makes me appreciate Bob Iger even more. So Yeah. Yeah. So he, he is willing to take risks. So and now there are no bamboo items because that's retro tiki. So there are no bold patterns because that's Polynesian or Papua New Guinea. So because he said, you know, people tend to sort of combine all of that. He says, but it's very easy to figure it out. Look at a map. And you'll see Hawaii's nowhere near Polynesia or New Guinea. They are very, very different cultures. So, 
Um, the entry, like I, the entry, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the, the entry to the Alani Resort in people's minds is that this culture is regal, elegant, it's traditional and formal. So you want people to know this hotel could only be in one place and it doesn't look when you walk in you know it's like i'm not in kansas anymore you know it doesn't look like what i expected there must be something here to learn now the other interesting thing about hawaiian culture is that there is a masculine and feminine aspect to the culture there's an association with the past tradition and the future and so for that reason the hotel is asymmetrical and everything facing the ocean is new and contemporary in its design and in its artwork everything facing the mountains is traditional so there's this big mural going around the entrance and that Jean Charlo, who is a friend of Walt Disney and he's a professor, who wrote, who, and he wrote the first essay about animation being an art form. And so when Walt read this, he invited him to teach at the Walt Disney Studios. And so Martin um, Charlo, who's his son, taught Joe Rohde how to draw and it's uh, Martin who painted the mural that tells the story of the people of Hawaii that goes around this lobby, this entrance area. So one side of the resort is masculine and one side is feminine, and it's based on the directions of the wings of the hotel. So, now, um, photographs behind the registration desks are by Children of Hawaii. A contest was held asking children to capture the colors of Hawaii. And then the, the photographs that were selected were placed on metal. And then and they're mounted on the back wall. And they're, they're beautiful. And then the children and the families were all invited, uh, you know, to come and see their artwork and everything on display. Uh, 80 artists were involved in the project of Alani. Most had Hawaiian ancestry. There is very lush and there's lots of foliage. There's a certain type of foliage that's light and airy that grows near the beach, you know, like coconut palms and all that. But when you go into the interior of Hawaii, it's full of dark, sort of spooky um, sort of canyons and, and there's lots of stories and, you know, mystical, um, you know, mystical concepts and legends in, in about those canyons and all that. So the so the interior of Alani is more densely landscaped to convey the interior of the island. So um, they did build a second pool that replaced a wedding lawn because they needed more pools. That's been the only real significant change since the resort was built. Uh, there's lots of eroded lava um, formations. So there's a volcano in the center with a slide. The Lazy River has a canal area with very high walls. And that's from his house where he grew up. There were these canals. So he said when his sister came for the opening and she saw that section of it. She she knew exactly where he got his inspiration for that. Um, oh, m m I think it's Mahiki Joe's uh, Beach Rentals. That's named after Joe Rohde, if you go there. Uh, they did have Disney characters there because 
they had to, uh, you know, they had the idea that if you're flying to Hawaii, it's to see Hawaii. So they didn't want to get in between guests and Hawaii, but they recognized families and children want to see the characters. So they... So they made sure that the characters are not making believe they're Hawaiians, nor interpreting Hawaiian culture. So the Disney characters that are there are on vacation, just like the guests. And the textiles they're wearing represents the activities that they want to do when they're on vacation. So uh, there's no tiki torches at Alani, because they were invented in Arcadia, California. But... Hawaiians lit everything using kukui nuts, and they, or they're called candle nuts, because their interior is waxy, and they would put them on strings and burn them. So you'll see that the lights at Alani look like these nuts. Um, there are lots of shapes in the rocks, because it's a Hawaiian idea that the forms... Um, D- display themselves in the land, that there's a body within the body, that there's life within the land. So there are images carved into the rockwork to keep people looking and to prevent them from getting inside their own heads as they walk through the resort. So some of the images can only be seen at a certain time of day or when it's wet. So the plaster is improvised. So Joe doesn't know how many images there are but they're of you know sea life and you know bird life and animal life and all kinds of things in there um there are levels of artwork inside the resort some's large some are made from recycled materials they had um painters sculptors weavers textile artists feather artists ranging from traditional to contemporary art In Hawaiian art, there is a level of refinement and fineness. So there's a wall covered by small squares made from the interiors of coconuts to give it a weaved look. Now, most streets and beaches and people have Hawaiian names, which can be a cultural barrier for tourists. So they con- so they created Olilo or Olelo, and that means um, word. And it's the Olelo Lounge, and there are over 800 objects in there, and they're labeled with their Hawaiian names. And there's a pronunciation guide that's behind the the um, bar on the wall, and all servers speak Hawaiian. And so Disney was the first resort to have a Hawaiian language requirement, um, you know, um, there. So. Mm-hmm. Now, there are legends in Hawaii about the people that are called Menahuni, and they live in the forest, and you leave out food for them. And they're usually rendered as little chubby leprechauns, but Disney decided to model them after some mysterious stone um, figure carvings. And so there are hundreds of them throughout the resort, and children um, can look for them. And they, they even have a little scavenger hunt for them. And some of the cast members will move them periodically. So it looks like the Menahuni are moving. Now, there's then I told you the story that I told you there was a story about Auntie Nettie. Auntie Nettie. Now, aunties are socialized spiritual leaders, and things don't get done 
without an auntie's approval. So Auntie Nettie lived on the land next door to the Yolani site. So she was a, a shaman, a, a protector and a historian. And no one would do anything on this project without her approval. So she walks into the site to find the spiritual center, and they marked it with a construction stake. Well, legally, they have to add 20 feet of soil to a, to a site to protect against tsunamis. So they had to keep re- raising the stake. So Auntie Nettie created all these little bundles of of whatever as the resort was being built and she sort of put them all around the resort and then she told joe she walked up to one they said he had to find a stone to mark the spiritual center now the problem is is that most of the stone was buried and you by law you cannot move a stone but he had remembered that two and a half years ago they had dug up coral when they were putting in the utility trenches and he asked them as they were loading the coral onto the trucks what are you going to do with all those rocks and he was told they were taking it to the dump and something in his head said no it's not the right thing to do so he had them take it to a site and put it there and it was basically next to the um parking area the staff parking area and so he decided he'd go over there and a lot of it was damaged by the shovels you know things like that but he found one that was being used as a traffic divider and he really liked the shape of it so auntie so he showed it to auntie Nettie, and she said this was good this was a female rock and so she cleansed it, and then she it was wrapped in uh, in special palm leaves, and it was moved. And then she had a ceremony. There was this whole ceremony, and she consecrated the rock, which means now the rock can never be moved for any reason, because it is now a consecrated spiritual object. So. Whatever happens to Alani, if it goes belly up or they tear it down or it crumbles due to the, you know, ravages of time, this rock can never be moved. Wow. So, um, yeah. That's a new one. I hadn't heard that one before. Yeah, yeah. And then when they when they had their day, I don't know if I have this later in the story. Oh, when they when they had their day, uh, when they invited their guests, you know, when they invited everybody who worked on it to come. To the uh, and because this is a Disney tradition, they always have the workers' day, whatever it is, where everybody that built something, they and their families get to spend a day enjoying it. So they invited Disney invited everybody who had constructed and contributed to Alani to bring their families out and enjoy it for a day, you know, before it opened. And they were blown away by this, the locals, because they said in all the resorts that had ever been built on that island, and there are a lot, uh, they'd never been invited to enjoy the resort. So, and, you know, Disney did it all up where there were barbecues and, you know, the executives served them and all this stuff. But some shaman, shaman came um, with with Auntie Nettie and they had this um, huge bundle all wrapped in leaves and all that and they handed it to Joe because they saw Joe as sort of the, the spiritual leader of Disney 
It didn't care if Bob Iger was there. Joe Rody was the leader. He huh. was the one they talked to. And so they hand him this bundle and said, you'll know what to do with it. <laughs> and so, huh. um, so he took it to this, this consecrated rock. And they had a little ceremony where it was placed there. So um, anyway, so um, as, as you go around and look at the resort, uh, the hidden Mickeys are very subtly hidden in some of the geometric patterns of the textiles. So, so take a look for that. That can be fun. Uh, one of the things Carol and I really enjoyed at night, they have Hawaiian storytellers, uncle, uncles at night, and they tell stories of Hawaii's, um, you know, ancient, um, antiqua, antique, antique culture, ancient culture, and all that. They're wonderful stories. And a lot of them are fables, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're little morality plays. And or some of them tell uh, their little creation stories. Uh, They're wonderful. And they have this amazing fire pit that I would love to know how they built it. But they're terrific. And um, anyway, so definitely if you ever visit Alani, go out and listen to Uncle. Yeah, I was able to catch that. Awesome. Just really, really awesome. Now, when guests, so the thing is, so I staying at Alani, like I said, that the, the whole goal of this, and this is certainly my experience and Carol's experience, and guests go out to explore Hawaii, they know more about where they are, and they can talk to the people and have a better experience. You know, um, now music was created for the hotel to match what they had done. There's a 20 minute loop in the lobby that you can hear best at night um, when the crowd noise is low. But of course, in the elevators, do you remember, did you hear the elevator music loop, Craig? Oh, yeah, yeah, all the, yeah, yeah. The, it, the Disney music, but yes. it's all in Hawaiian. Hawaiian yep, and, instruments and, ho- and the Hawaiian language. Yeah, and you can find both of these albums, uh, the, the lobby music as well as the, the Disney Hawaiian music you hear in the elevators. Uh, you can find them uh, on on your streaming services so apple music spotify it's it's awesome i listen to them all the time still i do too i bought the cds but and then i you know put them on itunes when we first went i mean i haven't been since in six years now and they didn't sell them back then and then they finally started selling the lobby music but they only sold it in japan and so I, Sean, uh, you know, it's my my best friend, Sean, that everyone might remember way if you're a way, way, way back fan of, of the Diz from from the Walt Disney World edition back then. And my mm-hmm. first co-host on Universal, he he ended up buying an account in uh, in uh, the iTunes, the Japanese iTunes store so he could download the music and then. Uh, yeah, he broke copyright law and shared it with me, but now it's available, so it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> and uh, another thing that he recommended, that when you land in Hawaii, Joe said, immediately go to the Bishop Museum. And there's a whole, there's a go to the wing that's all about Hawaiian culture and all that. He says, when you go to that, then go to Alani. He said, you will much better understand the Hawaiian people and Alani, and what's in Alani, and then and then you'll have a better experience when you venture outside the resort and, and, and engage with the Hawaiian people and the culture 
you just have a richer, fuller experience. And I've not been to the Bishop Museum. I've read about it when I and and I know I know the story of of why Bishop is significant in Hawaii. But um, anyway, so I'm definitely going to do that the next time I go. Let's go to the Bishop yeah. Museum. I've actually never heard about that. So um, yeah, if I ever make it back, I'll add it to the list. I, I have it on my bucket list to return yeah. someday. So. Anyway, uh, and then so that was uh, that was pretty much that was the gist of it. There was a Q and A, and th- th- there was a question about sustainability. Um, that is a growing concern in Hawaii because you know it's on an island, everything is brought in, uh, and you know, uh, and that's reflected in the prices if you go to the grocery store. So a lot of people stop off at Costco. There's also Costco in a in a one of those giant mega targets and all that not far from Alani. Um, the lot that we stopped at on the way there. Uh, anyway, um, so he said the sustainability was taken into consideration when building the resort. Uh, then somebody asked about the tiger story. And he said, do people know about that when trying to get Animal Kingdom built? And I thought I didn't know the tiger story. And then I realized as he told it, I did know the tiger story. Have you ever heard the tiger story? That that uh, on how what Joe Rody did to convince the executives to build Animal Kingdom, and no, I don't think I have. Oh, okay. Well, when they were trying to get Animal Kingdom going, there was active dissent on the part of the board and executives and all that. They so Joe said they had a lot to prove. Now there was an argument being mounted about what is so exciting about animals. So for a meeting, Joe decided. To bring in an animal. That makes sense. So they started with a chameleon. And they um, they sort of kept working up to it and up to it. And, you know, other animals getting a little larger. Well, they the, the film, the animated film of The Lion King was being worked on at the time. So he asked the Lion King people if they had a leopard. And uh, because, you know, they were they were using, you know, live animals as models, you know, to sketch and all that as they created, you know, the animals for the film. And so uh, they did. <laughs> so so for the meeting with the big executives, he had all this exciting concept art up. He had lots of foliage all around this boardroom. And then. The animal handler just sort of quietly shows up, and um, and, and there's the, the and and um, and well, the leopard was um, was sort of jumpy, but he said, "I'll give you a, a tiger who's mellow for the same price." <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so the meeting begins, and Joe's very professionally talking about the excitement of seeing animals with no boundaries and all that. And then the tiger walks in, who's on a leash. But, you know, you just couldn't see the leash right away. Well, Joe just keeps uh, talking. And the executives that we're talking, Michael Eisner, Frank Wells, Marty Sklar, you know, that level of executives, they're looking at the tiger. And the tiger's just sort of casually walking around. He stops, he scratches its ear, and then it leaves. Well, and and Joe just continues on. And it immediately ended 
the conversation about animals not being exciting. And apparently, when somebody asked Michael Eisner, uh, what's so exciting about animals? Michael Eisner said, have you ever been up close with a tiger? <laughs> he said, it's exciting. <laughs> so, anyway, so I thought that was a very clever workaround. Yeah, it absolutely. A very yeah. risky workaround. Yeah, yeah. That's a cool story. Yeah. Now, a young man, I admit, who's a listener to the show, he may be listening right now. He had a, he, he had a great question because he wants to work for Imagineering. He knew a lot about Disney history because I had a chat with him. And I would guess he's probably about nine years old. And he asked a question of Joe Rohde, how, how do I work for Disney? Joe gave an answer I had never heard before because when I talked to this young fellow, you know, I had told him you have to find your passion and work towards that passion and whatever that passion is, become an expert in it, get experience in it. Odds are that passion, there's there, Imagineering does it and then you apply for that. You know, but you have to be passionate about what you do, or you're not going to do it well, and you're not going to enjoy it, and you're not going to be as successful in it. And that was my advice to him. But what Joe's advice was, you know, know how to work in groups, work in groups, work in theater, because there you learn how to work with people, you learn how to work with an audience, you learn how to work with a budget. He said, because basically working at Disney is working in a theater group that makes permanent things. And then he sort of mirrored whatever what I said, whatever your interest is, Disney does it, but you have to know how to work in a group. I thought, now that's interesting. Yeah, so. yeah, that is. Mm-hmm. So, and that that was pretty much the Joe Rohde talk, and that was the end of the Pacific Northwest Mouse Meet. And um, I, like I it. said earlier, <laughs> it was, it was. And I thought that was a great question that our young listener um, asked to end it. You know, and that was it. I really hope I get to go next year because, as I said earlier, this was really a terrific terrific event and um and i just feel so spoiled because you know jeff curdy was a d23 well i couldn't get within 10 feet of him (laughs) the expo because of the crowds although i did wave at him and he waved back (laughs) and um so but you know i had a nice chat with him at you know at the pacific northwest mass meet and same with ron clemens and you know joe rohde of course was there because he what is it he announced what's he working on D20X, I can't remember. Joe's working on Lighthouse Point. That's right. That's right. So um, The new, sorry, I should have explained more. Lighthouse Point, mm -hmm. the new island that Disney Cruise Line will be commandeering from the Bahamians, uh, Mm -hmm. much to their their pleasure. And, uh, but... By bringing Joe on with the same respect that he has given to many other projects, including uh, the same respect he he paid towards Hawaii and and Alani, uh, he's they're hoping I think for a little bit of that magic to rub, rub off with the Bahamians because they do not want Disney there. So not not all of them. No, there there definitely is some controversy, and we'll get into that a little more in our next episode. But you're right. 
he is approaching it exactly the same way he approached Animal Kingdom and Alani with going through the, the, the intrinsic themes, what are they, and then designing it around that. And this island, because I thought Kesseki is fine. I'm not as enthusiastic about it as a lot of other folks are, maybe because I've never taken a young child to it. And I'm not so much a beach person as I am more of a, a forest, lake kind of person. And, uh, and so the way he described his plans, what he wants to do with Lighthouse Point, I'm excited about that island. Yeah, see, and I'm excited about it too, but I am that, I'm very similar to you that I prefer lakes, mountains, the the same. Mm -hmm. Castaway Key is the only place I like going to a beach. Um, Mm -hmm. I I don't know what it is about it. I think it's just how clean it is and how how friendly it is. And I, I, it's just, I don't, I don't know. Something about it. I love it. I would agree with you that of all the beaches, that is one of the best I've been to. So. Yeah, I even liked it more than Alani's Beach. But um, Oh, I loved Alani's that was It was also very special. So, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's a toss-up. I, yeah. Get back to me in ten years. Okay. That's a date. Well, Craig, it is time once again for This Week in Disney History. And, well, you know, Labor Day weekend marks the official end of summer. So I'm going to start weaning you off this theme I've had of theme parks questions in this week. So I'm tossing in a couple that are are not theme parks. I, I can't have you go cold turkey. You know, I appreciate that. <laughs> so, okay, this is the week of September 1st. Which Epcot attraction was updated and reopened on September 1st, 2007? 2007, I believe. I don't know. Um, hmm. Mm-hmm. You got me there, so. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to say, oh, Canada. <laughs> That's right. There Good you guess. Go. Martin Short. You go. They needed him. That's. Uh-huh, that's right. Oh, they the film them. O Canada, Circle Vision 360 movie in the Canada Pavilion. It's an updated version hosted by Martin Short. Walt Disney Imagineers collabor- collaborated with the Canadian Tourism Commission to revise the film, which now includes new orchestration and images, and Canadian Idol winner Eva Avila. I hope I'm saying her name right. Maybe it's Eva. I tend to massacre names. Um, singing the music of O Canada. And, of course, we are looking forward to a new Canadian um, film mm-hmm. coming yes. up. Very, very soon. So uh, mm-hmm. it's not taking not taking as long as China is because, for some reason, Canada isn't getting the seamless uh, Circle Vision 360 Yeah, screen. I was really surprised by that. I was, um, too. I thought as soon as they announced that it was getting an updated film, I was like, oh, well, because if China is getting that seamless, that seamless uh, projection, then of course Canada has to get it too. And then, and then when they made it clear, like they are still using the words perfectly that that China is going to be seamless, but Canada, there is no mention about it, and and it's taking way less time to to put in that one. So it's pretty clear it's not going to be. So 
It's it's kind of a bummer, but you know what? As as long as it's just digital projection and looks good, I'm okay with it. I I love yeah. I love the Canada Circle Vision. Every every version that I've been I've been lucky enough to see. Yeah, but yeah, no no love for Canada America's hat with this new film. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's come on, <laughs> come on. They they don't go see it anyways. I don't know. I, I'm sure they do uh, every now and then. Okay, September second. Which Magic Kingdom attraction closed on September 2nd, 1997 for an extensive reimagining? It will reopen with a new name in April 1998. I'm going to take a wild guess on this one because this was actually during the the time that I, I didn't really visit, uh, that my family was... Too busy taking us to other places other than Walt Disney World. But I remember showing back up in 2000 to finally see the Enchanted Tiki Room uh, being butchered with Yago mm-hmm. and, and Zazu for the first you, time. You so. are right. <laughs> Tropical Serenade closed and it reopened in April of 1998 as the abominable Enchanted Tiki Room under new management. But the gods were angered <laughs> when up yes. in flames. Fire. <laughs> All right. September 3rd. Which animator and Disney legend was born on September 3rd, 1905 in Cleveland, Utah? He was one of Walt's nine old men and was the last of them to retire. Ooh, um, hint. Yeah, and that hint doesn't also work well for me um was it ollie johnston no no, no. but um andreas stasia talked about him a lot oh uh, oh um uh, uh eric larson that's right mm-hmm. that's go. right eric larson his family moved to salt lake city where he began studying journalism and drawing and he later graduated from the university of utah larson then moved to los angeles to work as a writer but instead was employed in 1933 by disney larson's long list of contributions include bambi cinderella alice in wonderland mary poppins the aristocats and the great mouse detective in 1983 larson was awarded the windsor mckay award and three years later became the last of the nine old men to retire Okay, September 4th, the first formal story conference for Walt Disney's next scheduled animated feature-length film took place on September 4th, 1937. Which film was discussed at this meeting? Mm. So, 37... um... September 4th, 1937. Um, I'll just... I'm sure this is probably a trick question, but I'll say Pinocchio. You're right, it's a trick question. (laughs) It was Bambi. Director David Hand announced that the animation will begin on December 1st. A few months later, Walt will postpone work on Bambi and instead begin production on Pinocchio. I think I might remember that from one of the biographies. At yeah, some point because in time. Walt did Walt didn't feel they were ready for uh, the realistic animation yeah. required for the forest creatures yeah. in Bambi. 
So then he started the studio um, in-house art lessons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so. mm-hmm. Okay, September 5th. The very first Oswald the Lucky Rabbit cartoon created by Walt Disney and Ub Iwerks was released on September 5th, 1927. What is the name of this cartoon? It's been a while since we talked about Oswald, but think um, uh, Trolley trolley Troubles. That's correct. That's right, Trolley Troubles. Over the next two years, the Disney studio will produce over two dozen black and white silent Oswald cartoons. Okay, September 6th. Today is the final day Disney California Adventure guests were able to ride which attraction? Crews began removing the ride the following day. Oh, I'll give you a hint. This thrill ride shot visitors up 180 feet into the air. Why am I not thinking what it is? They just opened a new attraction in its spot recently. Oh, um, I, I know what... I, I always forget the name because obviously I never had a chance to to visit. But I, I know it is the 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 drop ride that it yeah. was an orange, right? Yeah, or, the no. Malaboomer. Oh yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, the orange was um, where the spinning carousel or the the other. Never mind. I I'm terrible all, with my DCA. They were all, <laughs> all terrible rides. Yeah. Um. Anyway, yeah, the, it, this no longer fit with the theme of the Paradise Pier area, which is going to. T- be redesigned to take on an early 1900s theme so anyway uh and and it was like labor day weekend for like three years was just a closure of all kinds of attractions uh at california adventures it got reimagined um september 7th guests at the magic kingdom took their last ride on what attraction on september 7th 1998 there will be people mourning Mm. this day Oh, 1998. Um, it was a wild ride. Oh, it lasted. There we go. Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. That's right. <laughs> yes, this popular Fantasyland attraction was scheduled to close at the end of the day. So, no, you, it was, you were passable this time. Yeah, no, I took a couple hints to get through. <laughs> so, you know, I did. The one night I didn't wear my Save Mr. Toad t-shirt. So. <laughs> That's right. Oh, well. You'll have plenty of time, you know, reading up your trivia by candlelight in the next few days there. All right. Well... It was. I'm glad we finally were able to finish the Pacific Northwest Mouse Meet wrap up. Yeah, no, it's uh, it was a lot of information. So uh, it would have been one jam packed episode, but no, it's nice how you broke it down and you made all of us who weren't able to be there feel like uh, we were still part of the excitement. So thank you for that. 
Oh, you're welcome. And hopefully, you know, we had a lot of listeners to the show, as I mentioned in, uh, I think, the first installment of this, uh, were there, you know, and got to chat with a lot of folks. And so hopefully we'll have more listeners there next year. Maybe this has sparked your interest in um, attending the Pacific Northwest Mouse Meet. I think it's, what did I say? Was it like July 11th, I think, 2020? Something like that. Somewhere around that, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so hope to see you there. So and and our young listener who asked that great question about how to work for Disney, you know, if you when you become an Imagineer, I, I expect a, I expect a personal, behind the scenes tour. So you might have to, you know, I'll be in my um, my jetpack ECV probably <laughs> by that time. But, um, <laughs> I'll be ready. I'll be ready. I'll be. They'll they'll have little. They'll have little ECVs like the Jetsons, you know, little flying ECVs. You can just whip me around there, around the halls of Imagineering. So, so Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? As always, you can find me on the various shows uh, throughout the Disunplugged podcast network. And and you can find me anytime uh, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Teleclaster. Mm-hmm. Michael, yeah. what about and you? Be sh- and be sure you check out all of the videos Craig is churning Thanks. out. Thank you. From D23 Expo to the opening of Galaxy's Edge at, at Disney's Hollywood Studios to food and wine to I don't know what what else is coming up or are they taking a little break over there at Walt Disney World? I hope they're taking a break. <laughs> so Halloween Horror Nights is coming up uh, next week, next Friday, so that's fun. Dear Lord. Yeah. So, um, well, you know, they did close the Haunted Mansion at Disneyland to get ready for Haunted Mansion Holiday. Yep. So, no, um, um, I guess there's just, what's the saying? There's ain't no rest for the wicked. So <laughs> call me wicked because I'm not getting rest. Alrighty. You need a t-shirt that says that. Um, anyway, you can send me messages at Michael at WDWinfo.com. Twitter, I'm at mbowling121. Facebook, I'm Michael Bowling. Check out the page with the Connecting with Walt banner. That has all the Disney content. Instagram, I'm Michael Bowling the Diz. And you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at Connecting Walt. And be sure to look for my Disneyland history segments on the Disney Unplugged podcast, Disneyland show. I just did um, one of what's it two weeks ago now I, I don't remember on the main street electrical parade so check that out and if you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt disney his studio his imagineers and disneyland check out our disneyland podcast archives for my disney history episodes at disneyland.com or look for the link in our show notes and look for past episodes of connecting with walt on itunes where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings Thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing that was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. <laughs>